Welcome to the Advice and Insights Podcast with David L. Bonson. Hello and welcome to this week's Advice and Insights Podcast. This is David Bonson. I'm the Chief Investment Officer of the Bonson Group. And we are here today to give you our advice and insights as we try to do each and every week on a particular subject. And this week we want to tackle the uh, ever important subject of inflation. And, and we want to do so in a way that is a bit more nuanced and a bit more, uh, shall we say, involved than, than a lot of treatments of the subject. For certainly a more generic treatment of the impact inflation has over time on your purchasing power and the need for investors to overcome inflation. You know, we know all that. We cover all that. I'll probably allude to a couple of reiterations of those principles, you know, here this week. But I actually want to talk about it in, in a bit different of an angle. And, and that has to do with the Federal Reserve's present policy around, around targeting of inflation. And, and so for, for those of you who view the objective of the central bank to, you know, work towards the establishment of a sound and stable currency and and that's not uh, something that you might view or I might view or our opinion. I mean, that's the stated written charter of the Federal Reserve. The Humphrey Hawkins Act calls for a dual mandate, one of which is preservation of the currency. And so the idea of targeting an inflation rate, meaning you're trying to create, is one thing to say we want to try to limit inflation down to something, but to say you're trying to target it up to something is, is an extraordinary admission and, and I think has profound impact on, on you know, the signals into the marketplace. But the Fed has said they were targeting 2% inflation for some time. And this week, Chairman um, of the Federal Reserve, uh, Jerome Powell, reiterated that they are going to continue to be targeting 2%. But there has been a lot of discussion in recent weeks about the idea of changing the mechanism by which they go about targeting it or changing the way in which they execute on that policy objective. So as I've already stated, I disagree with the policy objective. I'd rather that they state our targeted inflation rate is 0%, but we accept that there will end up being some inflation and we want to work to constrain it. But to say that we sometimes think inflation can be too low and we want to get it higher... I think is categorically different. But that said, the uh, tweak going on right now in the discussion of policymakers, and please understand, they've not committed to this. They haven't rolled it out. Um, these are interviews that have been given by some Fed governors in the press, and these are comments that Chairman Powell has uttered, but they are not um, finalized uh, Fed Board of Governors decisions you know, that we're reading about in the minutes. This is stuff that's in flux. But what they've talked about is the idea of price level targeting, where they essentially say, okay, if the inflation rate were to grow at 2% per year over, let's say, 15 years, what does that price level in the economy look like? And then if one year they have inflation below 2%, which we've had for most years for the last, you know, 10 years, then uh, it, it gives them the ability to run hotter because they're trying to get inflation um, 
uh, it can run hotter than 2% in a given year because they're simply trying to stay on a trend line of 2% per year over a period of time into the future. It's, they're trying to target that general price level and, and as opposed to just year over year, you know, have the same 2% goal each year. Uh, if I lost you, I apologize. I don't really know how to explain this one without, you know, having to get in the weeds a bit. And, and that's the explanation. That's what would be going on. So what they would essentially be saying is we don't have to cool our policy objectives if we start running inflation at about 25 or 3%, as long as it's staying um, in line with that 2% target over a period of time. And I think that that will, uh, particularly depending on how they go about trying to achieve that policy objective, if that were to happen, it would increase risk of inflation um, surfacing, and it would mean more prolonged periods of Fed dovishness that they could justify empirically, that they could rationalize by their own stated policy objectives, and, and would overall lead to probably a greater degree of Fed um, intervention for the purpose of facilitating more liquidity and credit in the economy. On uh, overall net-net, would they still achieve a 2% level? It's very possible. But they're trying to be less reactionary and, and, and force less provocative actions, and they think this gives them a longer runway to smooth things through time. Maybe right, they may be wrong. It doesn't matter from my perspective if I disagree with the objective to begin with. But what I do know is that kind of change would potentially risk damaging their credibility. Um, now, what does all this mean to you? Well, it means that the notion of tightening up on inflation, maybe things all stay the same. Maybe the posture towards inflation management doesn't get any different. But it certainly isn't going to become tighter. It isn't going to become more hawkish. And in fact, as I've just laid out, there's this possibility of a logistical you know, philosophy of approach that potentially increases Fed softness around this subject. Well, any of you who follow my, re my writings and, and declarations on this subject know that I am not an inflationista someone who is obsessed with the idea of permanent inflation, uh, permanently rising inflation above and beyond uh, you know, what we expect, uh, a banana republic of um, you know, currency printing. I think that some of the most ignorant things I've ever read in my life economically come from people who don't understand the very concept of inflation. The monetary base in a growing economy does need to grow. And I'm all in favor of a rules-based mechanism by which we increase money circulation in concert with economic growth. Um, and that puts me uh, on, on a different side of the issue from a lot of people I otherwise might agree with about a lot of economic matters. However, I uh, make the argument that the hyperinflationistas, those constantly obsessing about how we're going to have 5 to 10% inflation, they basically spend all their time worrying heavily about something that has a minuscule chance of happening while they spend no time thinking about what has a basic inevitability to happening. And that is, I think, the far worse effect of small inflation. In other words, 2%, 2.5% annual inflation that the society tolerates is far worse 
than the idea of allegedly having some year of 7% type inflation, which would, of course, be met with a very aggressive smashing of such, uh, you know, from a, a central bank who needs to wipe it out. It would be recessionary. It would be brutal. Um, but we know what the solution to such would be if we got to that point. But this is the thing I really hope listeners will understand. Inflation is not primarily an economically driven thing. There's not an economic agenda for the Fed to create inflation. There becomes an economic byproduct, an economic correlation, but the primary agenda of inflation is always and forever political. And the ability for governments to spend more than they have and to pay that back, they, they fund spending with debt and to pay back the debt with inflated dollars is the oldest trick in the book for how countries can live above their means. And so they pass on the cost of excessive debt to future generations through higher prices in the form of inflation. This is Economics 101. It's very important for you to understand. And hyperinflation represents a threat to what the politicians want to do, as long as they can control it. You know, we're not talking about Zimbabwe and Venezuela. If they can, because the uh, free citizenry has no tolerance of hyperinflation, they don't put up with it. But the beauty of 2 to 3% annual inflation is no one does boo about it. There's nothing they can do. They kind of accept it. It doesn't hurt all at once. And yet, over time, it hurts dramatically. And so for the Fed to be considering ways that they can kind of facilitate that process, I think it bakes in what investors need to understand they're up against, which is not this big monster that's about to you know, eat away at them with hyperinflation. We have plenty of deflationary pressures that are rather uh, dramatic in that regard. It's the long-term corrosive effect of inflation that is mostly um, met with complacency because there's not much that can be do, done about it, and it doesn't hurt everyone all at once in any meaningful way. Now, how do you deal with price levels that go up 2% a year if you're in the middle of saving for a future retirement? You have to have some mechanism by which you can overcompensate, overpower the impact of that tax, the inflationary tax on your accumulation of capital. And this is one of the great reasons I argue for dividend growth investing is that embedded in the companies themselves is the ability to, uh, using pricing power, overpower that inflation. They can, uh, if there is inflation and, and there's uh, prices that are going higher, they're passing that on to their customers and then they're receiving inflated dollars that can be used to pay a continually growing dividend, growing or inflating above and beyond the level of price inflation itself. So 5 to 8% annual dividend growth goes a long way to beat out 2 to 3% annual inflation growth. And so, yeah, there is an investment lesson in this as to why dividend growth investing, I think, makes a lot more sense at, at defending against inflation, particularly more sense than some of the cockamamie things investors talk about doing a lot. But I also think that we have to understand where inflation comes from, why it exists, and the fact that we, we presently have an environment in which the government is spending more money, not less. Inflation is the best tool they ever have to try to remedy some of that debt spending binge. And then a central bank that cooperates to help facilitate it with things like inflation targeting, 
transitioning to price level targeting. These are policy mechanisms from a central bank to help facilitate the overall environment. There's nothing I'm saying here that is confrontational or disagreeable. The Fed does it on purpose. They believe it's the greater good. Um, it doesn't matter that I happen to disagree with that. I believe they operate in good faith around this. Um, I don't believe that there's this conspiracy level hyperinflation that we don't really see. I think inflation has been very benign for a long time now. But when I say it's benign, I mean it's benign relative to hyperinflation. For someone who sees the price level in the economy, economy go up 30, 40, 50% over, you know, 36 years at 2% inflation, it doubles. It doubles. Your purchasing power is cut in half. And so that slow drip impact of inflation is very important. And I think it warrants us continuing to think about the fact that we don't have to go invest our portfolios against hyperinflation, this thing with this really, really low probability, as much as we have to invest our portfolios around that that has essentially what feels like 100% probability. And that is at bare minimum, uh, you know, standardized targeted inflation. Um, and if we accept the Fed's numbers, then they're looking to create 2% inflation a year. So interesting week in the Federal Reserve and hopefully some considerations here that drive your knowledge of inflation and of central banking and of the political dynamic that is monetary price inflation. And hopefully you get some investment uh, ramifications to take away from it. We're happy to talk more about it. Reach out with any questions, any comments. And subscribe to Advice and Insights if you haven't already. Put it in your normal feeder, you know, listener. And uh, also, please write us a nice review or give us a star rating or whatever you feel so inclined to do. Thank you for listening to the Advice and Insights. We look forward to talking to you again soon. Thank you for listening to our Advice and Insights podcast with David L. Bonson. The Bonson Group is registered with Hightower Securities, LLC, member FINRA and SIPC, and with Hightower Advisors, LLC, a registered investment advisor with the SEC. Securities are offered through Hightower Securities, LLC. Advisory services are offered through Hightower Advisors, LLC. This is not an offer to buy or sell securities. No investment process is free of risk, and there's no guarantee that the investment process or the investment opportunities referenced herein will be profitable. Past performance is not indicative of current or future performance, and it's not a guarantee. The investment opportunities referenced herein may not be suitable for all investors. All data and information referenced herein are from sources believed to be reliable. Any opinions, news, research, analyses, prices, or other information contained in this research is provided as general market commentary. It does not constitute investment advice. The team in Hightower shall not be in any way liable for claims and make no expressed or implied representations or warranties as the accuracy or completeness of the data and other information or for statements or errors contained in or omissions from the obtained data and information referenced herein. The data and information are provided as of the date referenced. Such data and information are subject to change without notice. This document was created for informational purposes only. The opinions expressed are solely those of the team and do not represent those of Hightower Advisors, LLC, or any of its affiliates.